1: I am your host, Vic Jarami, the editor and publisher of The Blunt Post. The Blunt Post with Vic is a program that covers national, regional, and local headline news, offers analysis and commentary, and I interview members of Congress, local elected officials, and other high-profile public figures. So good morning, and thank you for joining us on The Blunt Post with Vic. Uh, later on in the show, I interview Assemblymember Luz Rivas, uh, I'm here with my producer, Ricky Herrera. Good morning, Ricky.
0: Good morning, Vic. Good morning, everyone. So um,
1: let's just dive into it. Um, this past Friday, I believe, marked the 100 days since Mayor Karen Bass has been in office, um, wanted to sort of review um, some of our initiatives and uh, accomplishments. Mm-hmm. Wondering what you think. Um, so, you know, we know that she she wanted to address uh, the unhoused as soon as she uh, came to office and she indeed did that. And with the inside safe program uh, about 4,000 people have been housed so far, uh, which is a big deal. I mean, when you think about 4,000, you know, an apartment building, a large one will have 60, 70 units. And most of these people are just single. So uh, if you can imagine how many apartment buildings they would fit, although, uh, a, a large number of them were not housed in apartment buildings because, as you know, it's uh, there's a housing shortage and um, you can't build that quickly. A lot of them are in motels, but nonetheless, uh, four thousand people have so far been housed under the Mayor Bass administration. Uh, she's also gone, you know, uh, to address the fentanyl overdoses. Uh, she has uh, suggested that they have ambassadors. Uh, in Metro, who are familiar and trained with Narcon, which is the medication that overturns or uh, fentanyl overdoses. You know, I mean, she's just been working <laughs> around the clock to address some of the biggest issues in the city. Of course, she was instrumental in bringing to a resolution the workers strike, the LAUSD strike that we just had, uh, that the low-wage workers had with Local 99. And so she you know, she she brought everyone to the table. Of course, it's a continuing story, but nonetheless, um, she kind of resolved it uh, for now quickly. So they weren't really on strike for more than three days. Uh, it's been. Oh, and then last thing is, um, I think it's interesting is um, and I just found this out, actually. We knew that the the 2024 California Senate race would be very interesting because you have two powerhouses. Uh running for Senator Diane Feinstein seat, Congressman Schiff and Congresswoman Katie Porter, both of whom I've interviewed on the Blonde Post with Vic. Uh, and of course, um, Congresswoman Barbara Lee as well, who's very popular. And I learned that Mayor Bass has endorsed Congresswoman Barbara Lee, uh, which I think is interesting. So it it sort of adds even more, I don't know, drama to what will come of this uh senate race in 2024
0: yeah you talk about some powerhouses that's going to be interesting uh to speak on karen bass just for a little bit i think you can tell she really wants to help los angeles her efforts to place people in housing to handling, uh, like you said, the this recent LAUSD strike, I think she's really put her best foot forward in these first hundred days, and um, I'm so glad that you've been able to highlight some of these some of these instances. And she was on the show not too long ago, and she's backing it up absolutely. Speaking
1: of <laughs> politics and elections, I'm sort of fascinated that President Donald Trump. Is still determined to run for president again. Uh, despite the, I don't know how many anymore the lawsuits and investigations against him. And we've been sort of hearing about him getting arrested and and all this stuff that's sort of flying around. We're not sure, you know, where it's gonna go, but the bottom line is it's just unprecedented that that a, a former president would be in so much legal. Drama, serious legal drama, and yet uh, still determined to run for president again. Uh, on top of his sort of his supporters and a lot of the establishment sort of abandoning him, as you know, including big donors that supported him
0: in 2016. You know the legal. It seems like the legal drama uh, litigation, for that matter, um, doesn't really affect him like it would the average Joe or or just anyone really, even before he dove into politics, he was always in litigation and always welcoming a challenge. It's funny um, looking into this and you know, chances are he probably won't serve any real hard time, but, um, <laughs> I found it interesting, uh, Mike Davis, uh, an attorney and former chief counsel for nominations, uh, first Senator, uh, Chuck Grassley, um, had an interesting quote. He said, I hope Democrats like Manhattan DA Alvin Bragg are stupid enough to try to put president Trump in prison because it will guarantee his victory. He went on to say, quote, there's no legal reason why he still couldn't run and win the White House from prison. (laughs) And uh, looking into this a little bit further, there has been precedence for this before in 1920. Uh, there was a socialist candidate, uh, Eugene V. Debs. He launched a White House run, and basically, he got almost a he got over a million votes uh, while he was incarcerated mm-hmm. in a federal penitentiary in Atlanta, Georgia.
1: After 2016, <laughs> I I don't dare to say that'll never happen because uh, anything could happen, including that. Who knows? Um, but what would that say about us as a nation, as a society? Yeah, just Donald Trump, just he just uh, he
0: just keeps, as the British say, he's
1: a he's like a bad penny.
0: He's gonna do what he's gonna do, and there is obviously people in this country who appreciate that. And I've brought it up before on the show, the style of politics that I know of that we've come to know. Your traditional political rhetoric is just not cutting it anymore with people. People are sick of it. People want something else. And I think that's why he became uh, president and was successful in 2016. People are tired of what is in place. And Trump is something different.
1: I agree with Um, Some of what you said, I I do agree that Americans are tired of the same uh, establishment rhetoric and soundbites and all of that. They want people who are real. Um, And I think that's definitely a strength of Donald Trump, whether we agree with him or not, whether some of the things that he said are sexist, misogynist, racist um, aside, you know, he has that style that people feel that he's real. Unfortunately, his message isn't all that good. When he creates divisions, when he uh, stigmatizes and uh, blames and scapegoats, you know, immigrants and uh, you know, and other groups and such. And I mean, I mean, I can go on and on and on. And I and I think that uh, you know what you say uh, in terms of style, in terms of people wanting someone real. That's also true of Senator Bernie Sanders. But unfortunately, the right was able to sort of label him as a socialist, which he's not. He's always said he's for social socialist democracy like we have in uh, or they have in Norway, Denmark, Finland, uh, Sweden. And so, um, you know, you have these two very, very different type of politicians, uh, Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump who both have a very sort of blunt <laughs> uh, style, if you will. Of course, you know, I, I think Donald Trump was was a tragedy for America. Again, I dare not to say that he won't get reelected because you just don't know. Um, but I hope that he doesn't. But I do see your point in terms of realness, people wanting action, people wanting uh, someone that sort of say
0: it plainly. Yeah, there's a sense that Washington, just the approach is broken in a sense. Maybe it it was never whole. Well, he also tapped into the fear of
1: uh, Americans, most white Americans took advantage of uh, that fear. And uh, fear works well in controlling people and getting them to the polls. You know, this sort of rhetoric that came from him of, uh, you know, immigrants are taking your jobs and LGBTQ are, you know, in the restrooms uh, watching your kids and, uh, you know, all this sort of nonsense. He was able to tap into that and uh, get people to the polls. But also, let's also remember, (laughs) he received over 3 million less votes than Hillary Clinton. So in terms of majority of Americans, he wasn't sort of the popular candidate and you know even if we don't go into all the the fake news and all of that 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 helped him etc etc but yeah we'll see 2024 uh we'll see
0: well let's say he doesn't become president and and Hillary wins the popular vote as well as the um the electoral vote mm-hmm. um you know the fact that someone like Donald Trump was the Republican nom- nomination i mean right. i think i think that just sa- says a lot That's to be true to be running for president.
1: You can't ignore that. You can't ignore that corrupt real estate (laughs) mogul, reality TV star, quote unquote, would sort of rise up. Someone who was a Democrat his entire uh, adult life, supported Democrats, would all of a sudden declare himself Republican and become the nominee. So absolutely, one cannot look at this period in history you know, to 2015, 16 forward without really taking that into a serious consideration as to, you know, why and how, yeah, yeah, we'll see where, uh, Mr. Trump goes.
0: Hey, so Vic, speaking of Trump and just, uh, another topic, uh, did you see any of those what they're deeming, uh, deep fake photos of Trump? I think I sort of <laughs> zone out on those, but yeah. uh, the last few years, there's been an emphasis by the media highlighting a particular type of media, and the term is deepfake. I'm sure a lot of the people listening right now have heard of deepfake videos or deepfake photos. Recently, there was some deepfake photos uh, generated by artificial intelligence system, and these photos showed Trump being arrested. And in terms of the whole narrative surrounding his... uh possible or looming indictment in New York, um, these photos got some attention and created some buzz on Twitter. And I am just curious, us moving forward in terms of the technology being this good right now, imagine in 10 years, Mm -hmm. how realistic these photos or these videos will be. And you talk about video being used in mm-hmm. in a criminal case? Will there be a point where video is not admissible? Hey, that's not me in the video. That's a deepfake video. That's not me committing that crime.
1: Well, I think uh, we'll catch up. You know, technology uh, is ever evolving and uh, society has caught up to be able to sort of figure it out and get ahead of it. And, and that too will happen because at the end of the day, uh, whatever is a fake photo or video, uh, there's going to be a way to prove that it is. But it just complicates things, and it it makes it difficult. I mean, just off the top of my head, I can imagine uh, an agency opening up that journalists and people in the legal uh, sphere, etc., would have to verify through them uh, before using it or. Um check with them to see something is real or not. I don't know. I'm just sort of you know thinking off the top of my head, it just complicates things. You're right, because and also it uh you know it can cause a lot of damage before it's uh deemed fake. Now, I you know, I wonder. I mean, there there could be several reasons why people are making those. One, it's like some really techie person who's just bored and wants to like you know just challenge themselves and put it out and see what happens but it also could be that someone wants to post it on their website make it a a legit looking story and get traffic and get I don't know one two three million viewers on their website so they can then profit from it with advertising etc or you know on Twitter it would be you know, people uh, you know, retweeting stuff like that, um, or just troublemakers. You know, they just want to sort of cause some some havoc and such. Yeah, it's alarming, uh, especially I would think for those that are high profile. This could be kind of a scary thing, but um, I'm pretty confident that that law enforcement, and other stakeholders, will be able to sort of uh, get on top of it as they have in the past when so many other uh, technologies have been created.
0: Yeah. Well, there was a video of Nancy Pelosi in 2019. Someone doctored a video of her in which uh, she appeared to be impaired and it picked up millions of views on social media. Right. Um, uh, There was a, uh, let's see, I'm quoting a a professor, a computer science professor from uh, California, Berkeley, um, he had a quote that said, uh, the Nancy Pelosi video is just a tip of the iceberg in terms of how videos and images can be manipulated. One of his concerns was that the, the use of altered videos, it actually led, before the 2020 election, uh, U.S. intelligence officials came out and issued a warning ahead of the elections and called these deepfake videos a worldwide threat. So let's say there was a deepfake video of Trump calling people to arms or something or
1: well yeah that's a good point because that would be very that would be a lot more serious and tragic uh i mean we we know the consequences Uh, exactly january January 6th was not fake (laughs) he did do that and we know what happened uh it was very tragic for a lot of people so if even a more severe you know Call to action, if you will, came out that was fake. That would have some catastrophic. That could have some catastrophic, you know, uh, results for us. Actually, well, that's
0: why I think this is so so interesting. Not only in terms of the judicial element and the you know videos being such a big part of criminal investigations, and it just makes you wonder, you know, how much longer will we be able to rely on audio, video, and pictures? in a criminal case. And now it just makes me think about instances like this with social media being so prevalent and, and video for that matter being so prevalent and these deep fake videos gaining traction.
1: Again, my guess is that for-profit agencies will pop up where um, some of them will be reputable, where uh, you'd, you'd need to have their logo or their sort of disclosure to use the video, whether it's in media or courtroom or whatnot. So then you, you'd you go to the agency and you pay them an arm and a leg and say, this is from, you know, liquor store, blah, blah, blah. It's going to be used for a criminal case. We need you to verify that this is real and nothing is added or subtracted. And then they, they will do that. And the, the judge will look at the video and say, oh, it's been verified by, you know, such and such agency. So it's, it's, it's good. Um, that's just my guess. Same thing with media and same thing with, uh, you know, other um, other industries. Actually, that just reminded me of um, so many videos and photos have been generated by the government of Azerbaijan in the last two and a, two and a half years, uh, not only covering up their crimes against uh, humanity, against the uh, Armenians of Artsakh, but uh, also trying to um, change the narrative and put disinformation and propaganda out there uh, by creating these fake videos and photos uh, of, oh, see, Armenians are doing this and that. And some of them are just laughable because they look fake. Some of them are so easily um, disproven. <laughs> but yet, you know, they keep doing that. And their aim and objective is to um, to turn a public uh, opinion Uh, and to sort of have control over the narrative so people don't focus on the fact that Azerbaijan is currently, as we speak, uh, committing genocide against the Armenians of Artsakh. So, yeah, I'm glad you brought this up because it has some major consequences, and I can see how, uh, you know, going forward, it's just going to get worse, as you said. I mean what's available with technology is already incredible. Uh, who knows where we're going to go in five to 10 years.
0: Yeah. And just last point, I, I think that's the most um, disturbing part. You know, those are some great examples you brought up with the, the genocide. Uh, Azerbaijan has has propelled against Armenia, Artsakh. You know, the message has been put out there. And sometimes that could have consequences in itself. So, yeah, Human life at
1: stake. All right. Well, we're going to, we're about to listen to my interview with Assemblymember Liz Rivas. But before that, let's uh, take a quick break. The Blunt Post
0: with Vic. Hello, dear friends of KPFK. My husband, Blaise Bonpain, and I became supporters and contributors to KPFK in 1969. All of this startling and non-startling historical events that have happened since then, and there were so many, made us constantly go to KPFK so we would be better informed and activated. So many times we said, we need KPFK more than ever, and we always did rely on them. Today, more than ever, ever, we need KPFK. We all know that, and we all must do everything we can to keep KPFK alive and vital. Blaze would look down on us with his smile as we do so. Thank you, Teresa Bonpain.
2: The Car Show has aired on KPFK since 1973. And perhaps you have a car that's been sitting in your driveway since 1973, or 1993. Or maybe you're still driving it, but it's time to say goodbye. Get rid of that thing and help KPFK at the same time. Your donation of your old car gets it out of your life and helps KPFK as a tax-deductible donation. And not just cars, trucks, boats, and motorcycles are also welcome. It's easy, just call 877-KPFK-AUTO and we'll handle all the details.
1: Let your old car help KPFK. Keep KPFK strong on the web. Digital services cost KPFK
2: real money. KPFK is more than what you hear on the radio. At KPFK.org, you can listen to our live stream along with our on-demand content whenever you like. These digital services are free for you, but they cost us more money each year. For all of those times you've gone to KPFK.org, discovered new information, and shared it with others. Please consider making a donation today. Just click the Donate button at
1: kpfk.org. Thank you.
0: The Blunt Post with Vic.
1: Assemblymember Liz Rivas was born in Los Angeles, attended LA Unified Schools before earning a bachelor's degree in electrical engineering from MIT and a master of education from Harvard. The assemblymember has built her career at the intersection of engineering and education before entering public service. In 2016, she was appointed by Mayor Eric Garcetti, To the los angeles board of public work and was elected into the california state assembly in june 2018. good morning assembly member rivas thank you for being on the blunt post with vic this morning how are you today
2: i'm doing well thank you for inviting me to be part of this
1: yeah i appreciate you being on the show i know things are picking up for you Uh, a lot of uh, legislation is being introduced to the uh, california well, California Assembly, et cetera. And it's a busy season for you. um, So I appreciate it.
2: No, thank you. Yeah, we're we're back in Sacramento, the state legislature. uh, Like you said, introducing bills, working on different policy issue areas. It's exciting to be back.
1: Yeah, especially after, uh, you know, what I think is a landmark uh, election. Even though every four years we we say, oh, this is the most important election of our lifetime, uh, referring to the presidential election. I believe this last November's election was uh, similar for Southern California, at least LA County, Mm -hmm. Uh, for us, it was a a truly a a sort of a game changer of an election. Um, What is your um, perspective on uh, how things have turned out and where we're going uh, as a state? Well, just... I
2: think you're right. You know that you know this election was very important. This past election, I represent uh, the city of Los Angeles and the San Fernando Valley, uh, the northernmost part of the city of LA, um, and I also represent the city of San Fernando, which is a small city um, in my district. And uh, so, since I represent majority of Los Angeles in my district, uh, I know you know, that having Mayor Karen Bass, you know, leading our city is very important. Uh, You know, she has, she's bringing homelessness as, you know, you know, she declared a state of emergency for our city, bringing that issue to the forefront of everything she's doing, putting all her resources behind it. Um, And I think that's what's needed um, in order to solve a problem of this magnitude.
1: Well, it's good to hear you, you, Partly answered my next question, which was going to be that, you know, we have a, a, a massive uh, challenge in our hands in SoCal, which is the unhoused,
2: mm-hmm. um,
1: uh, up to about 70,000 in L.A. County. <clears throat> and uh, Congresswoman Karen Bass worked on it. Now, Mayor Bass, uh, she has gone after uh, to really start tackling this uh, this challenge aggressively. Uh, and you know head on, and uh, and of course your district, forty third district, is not immune to this. You also have uh, a lot of people who are unhoused. Uh, so it sounds like your plan and your initiatives are sort of uh, overlapping with with Mayor Bass's. Are you happy with how she's tackling this so far?
2: Um, well, so far, uh, you know, she's just getting started, and you know mm-hmm. this issue like you mentioned, it's a very important and serious issue throughout our whole region, right? Not just the city of Los Angeles, but the county. Uh, This year, I'm the chair of the LA County delegation in the legislature, which is a group of all the members, there's 39 of us that represent LA County um, up here in Sacramento. Um, And so I've already started conversations with the mayor's team, uh, the the county supervisors um, and other stakeholders on okay what are we all going to do together to address uh, the issue of homelessness and what can we do as your state legislators right to be helpful at the state level uh, you know with this upcoming recession you know I you know we don't want it to get worse where people will be evicted or lose their homes. Um, so I think it's exciting that Mayor Bass is moving the city into this new direction, um, and really jumped on right away after her inauguration um, to bring this issue to the forefront. That it has to be for all of us to get together and to collaborate on it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you can't you can't uh, do it by yourself and public. Uh... Some, some in the public think that politicians can just sort of, you know, use a magic wand and it'll all go away. It takes-
2: <laughs> you know, we, we all have to work together, right? Yeah. You know, like, um, you know, in my position, I, rep- you know, I'm a state representative. And so every day I think, what can the state be doing better? What are the barriers that there may be that the state is, on um, you know, unintentionally um, creating uh, to help? That won't. That don't help our cities and our counties, right? So, those conversations have started, and we're ready to take action.
1: This is the blunt post with Vic on KPFK ninety point seven FM. I am your host, Vic Jaramie, and you are listening to my interview with Assembly Member Luz Rivas. Off topic, I just have to say this: as a as someone like you who grew up in the San Fernando Valley, when I was reading about you. Uh, and I read that you went to MIT and then to Harvard, uh, I was so impressed. I, just, I, I was like, wow, is this is just incredible. I mean, no wonder. So um, yeah, it's, you know, and, and I shouldn't say this because hopefully we will get to a point, because uh, I do consider myself a feminist, and hopefully we'll get to a point where mentioning this is completely irrelevant and it's mm-hmm. um, it's a non-issue. But it should be mentioned because we're not there yet. The the lack of uh, women in tech. So Mm -hmm. when I read that, you know, someone like you went to MIT in your background and credentials, it's just really um, it's just gratifying to know that you are uh, one of our assembly members.
2: Thank you. I appreciate that. You know, I grew up in the San Fernando Valley in Pacoima, uh, if you're familiar with that, born and raised in. Uh, Went to all LA public schools in the Northeast San Fernando Valley. Um, I had great teachers that believed in me, right? And that helped me through, you know, my my parents are immigrants from Mexico. Uh, My mom didn't go to college, so she wasn't able to guide me through that process. Um, But, you know, was very supportive of my interest in engineering and technology. Um, And I, you know, I somehow... Uh, you know, was connected and and received the help I needed to apply to college a long time ago and very grateful. And that's why I've spent most of my career um, focused on issues of, you know, removing these barriers that those of us that grow up in urban areas that are children of immigrants have to, you know, to these opportunities, you know, to go to top schools like I was able
1: to. Yeah, it's um it's very impressive. Um, um I in, you know, and it's also it also shows that despite all the shortcomings, that someone like you can be a product of of public schools. Yes. So that's possible. So that's possible. Um but you've also had a lot of accomplishments um, since uh being in the assembly, I believe it was 2018. Um, yes. and that, you know, and this is, this is another big year. What are we, um, to expect? What are you working on? What's on your top priority list?
2: Um, well, homelessness continues to be one of my top priorities. Um, almost every year that I have served in the assembly, I have worked towards, you know, that policy issue area coming up with ways that the state, uh, can be better at, you know, Either, either through governance, you know, in terms of our agencies, um, or one of the issues that I worked on before was, uh, you know, identifying homeless children in our schools, so that we can provide them the services um, that they're entitled to, that they need, that their families really need, uh, you know. So we will continue to work on homelessness this year. Uh, I want to run legislation that uh, will hold um, our local governments accountable, um, but also provide, uh, you know, ongoing funding uh, that they need to solve this issue. You know, we really need ongoing funding to address homelessness and to help the cities that want to do the right thing. Right. And are willing to be held accountable. Um, And so that is something I'm focused on. Um, in addition to that, I continue to work on STEM issues. Um, I want to work on you know, clim- climate change education, increasing that in our public schools, um, computer science education, access to computer science in every high school is very important to me. Um, you know, California is the technology leader of the world, having Silicon Valley and other parts of the state that have led on technology innovation. But we're not hiring our own students, our own residents, because they don't have access to computer science in their schools. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm working on biotechnology. Um, you know, Last year, I was able to secure a $10 million um, allocation in our state budget that is going to um, Los Angeles Mission College, which is in my district. Yes. Um, and they are using it to build a biotechnology oh. center. You know, that's become uh, an area where a lot of students have interests and there are jobs locally uh, in biotechnology. So I continue on homelessness, STEM education, um, and I'm the chair of natural resources in the assembly We we work on climate change and all the climate bills come through my committee. Uh, and so the environment is also our priority.
1: Just, you know, piece of cake short list.
2: <laughs> we try to stay focused. But yeah. Homelessness, the environment and STEM education are my top yeah. priorities.
1: Wow. Okay, thank you for that. This is the Blunt Post with Vic on KPFK 90.7 FM. I am your host Vic Jurami and you are listening to my interview with Assembly Member Luz Rivas. You have a large Armenian uh, American community in District 43 and as you know, uh, we are Armenians are going through Um, essentially what's another genocide is being called as due to Azerbaijan and Turkey's attack and invasion of Artsakh in 2020 but the current and ongoing blockade of Artsakh where 120,000 Armenians are uh, blockade by uh, Azerbaijan for uh, over 50 days now without food or medicine supplies and despite calls from the international community uh, President Aliyev refuses to lift the blockade. Mm-hmm. He's determined to uh, basically ethnically cleanse all of our Artsakh from their indigenous uh, Armenians. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know that you've been uh, supportive about this. I just want to mm-hmm. yes uh, hear where you are at. You know where you're at, and and where we are now with this.
2: Yeah. So as a state legislator, I'm a member of the Legislative Armenian Caucus. Uh, you know, it's a group of us here in Uh, that mainly represent large Armenian American communities or are just supportive and interested in Armenian issues. Um, And, you know, I've been here for four and a half years and have been a member since day one. Um, And it's really helped me, uh, you know, connect and learn more about the issues that are important to the Armenian American community. Uh, And, you know, this, we can't we can't let this happen. We can't sit back and watch um, Azerbaijan, uh, what they're doing to Artsakh, right? It's leaving innocent civilians uh, with limited food and medical supplies. Um, and, you know, as state legislators, you know, we sent a letter to the federal government encouraging them to take a stand on this um, and, we have something planned here in in Sacramento uh, that we're working towards, um, you know, to elevate this issue. A lot of people don't know about it, and it's happening. You know, just like last year, um, the world knew what was happening in the Ukraine. I think we need to elevate this issue at that level, so Absolutely. there is more pressure coming from state governments, from local governments, from our country. Um, so the all of the you know, the world will know what is happening in ArtSoc.
1: Thank you for that. We appreciate your support. Uh, yes, we do need to uh, just talk about it more because it's just not being reported. Media is not covering it nearly, mm-hmm. or, you know, probably not even close to uh, how they cover Ukraine, unfortunately. This is The Blunt Post with Vic on KPFK 90.7 FM. I am your host, Vic Jaramie, and you are listening to my interview with Assemblymember Luz Rivas. Speaking of, so uh, I just have to ask you, as as a woman, as a Latina, do you feel there's added pressure uh, on you, the double standard, in terms of, like, um, as a politician, as, a, as an elected official... You know, when uh, you go through the, the choppy waters of, of politics and policy.
2: You know, unfortunately, yes. I mean that we still like you mentioned earlier, we still have to address these issues. And hopefully one day we won't even be talking about it, right? Because it won't exist. Um, but you know, as a Latina, you know, we're you know, Latinos are 40% of California and we're not represented. Um, At all, you know, at statewide, none of our statewide um, elected officials are Latinas, right? Um, But I think in general, even as a woman of color, um, people still question us and we have to put in more work than others do um, just to be heard, uh, to elevate the issues that are important to our communities. Uh, And, you know, I I do that and I have a a great uh, group of Latinas that are currently serving in the legislature. Um, that we're all very supportive of each other. um, And we make sure that we are being heard. And a lot of us are very effective, because we put in the time we put in the work to get to know our communities and not just the Latinos that we represent. But like you mentioned earlier, I represent an Armenian American community, um, other communities in the district that I think we take the time to listen to them. We go to their events. We meet with community leaders. Um, and that's why we're very effective. Uh, and so I think, you know, I have a lot of support. I have mentors that continue to help me. Um, and, and that's something that we need to continue to build, you know, mentorship programs. Make sure that, you know, we if we see young women that need help, that we help them.
1: Absolutely. Thank you for that. Is there a question I should have asked you, but did not forgot? Or is there something you'd like to add?
2: You know, I'm, you know, I'm chair of the Los Angeles County delegation. And, you know, like I mentioned, we have 39 members, uh, state legislators that represent LA County. uh, And we're looking forward um, to advocating for Los Angeles, right? I think we need to come together to show our power to advocate for our county and the issues that are important. Um, and so I encourage anyone that's listening to reach out to their state legislator, um, especially if you're from Los Angeles County. Um, if you have issues that are important to you, let us know how we could be better advocating for you.
1: Yeah. If you don't take the step and, uh, you know, ask, no one's going to know. So Well, a sense.
2: lot of times people don't know who represents them.
1: Right. In the That's state, true.
2: you know, sometimes people know their congress member. Of course, people, of course, know the mayor of Los Angeles, uh, but a lot of times don't know who who represents them in the state assembly or in the state senate. Um, right. And you know, I encourage people to reach out or to get to know their representatives.
1: Thank you, member Rivas. It's been a pleasure. Good luck with uh, all your initiatives, and to uh, hope to uh, chat with you again soon.
2: Thank you so much. Thank you for having me and look forward um, to continue to work with all of the communities, especially the Armenian American community.
1: Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you, Assemblymember uh, Rivas for being on The Blunt Post with Vic this morning. Uh, I appreciate your time. Good luck with everything, and I hope to chat with you again soon.
2: I'm Luz Rivas. I'm the Assemblymember for the new 43rd Assembly District, which now includes Valley Glen, the home to the Great Wall. So thank you. You know, as a little girl that grew up here, I grew up in Pacoima, a little bit north of here. I remember driving down Coldwater and just always looking out the window at the mural and wanting to stop and learn more about it. And it was just a, a weekly occurrence. My mom worked in North Hollywood down the street from here uh, and she, we would do a lot of things in this, in this community um, and pass by. You know, as a Latina that grew up with a single mother, just being to, able to see our stories here my whole life pretty much, Uh, it meant so much to me. And now I get to sit right next to the woman that made this happen, the Judy Baca. How lucky am I? I'm still fangirling uh, with sitting next to her. And also important for me was that I was able to bring the state investment for this important cultural project, this women-powered women's monument here in the San Fernando Valley. Uh, And I want to thank the SPARK Board, um, everyone that's been involved in this project. You know, it's important that we all work together and and my team has been involved and dedicated to making sure that this happened, Um, coordinating with the County of Los Angeles, with the city of Los Angeles, the state of California, Um, Speaker Anthony Rendon, uh, that is is a fan, of course, of Judy Baca and made this happen. All of us working together and culminating with this $5 million investment here in the San Fernando Valley. You know, it's important for me that the future generations learn about their history, about their past via art and, and continue this work and know about those that came before them and why it's important to continue to fight for justice for our communities. Uh, So thank you very much for everyone that are very proud to deliver this $5 million to our community. Thank you.
1: Before we go, I'd like to thank my producer Ricky Herrera without whom this show would not be possible, and KPFK, the station that brings you unfiltered and commercial-free news, opinion, and hopefully some inspiration. Thank you for joining me today on The Blunt Post with Vic. For more information, please visit thebluntpost.com. You can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter at VicGerami, at V-I-C-G-E-R-A-M-I. For information or to donate, you can go to KPFK.org. You don't have to wait until tomorrow. You can do it today. Thank you.
0: The Blunt Post with Vic.